Here we go. Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis, and this is MJ Network. And we get the best shows and the best authors and the best everything. And welcome to MJ Network, MJ's memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce. Now we've got Ross Clavin, Tim O'Mara, and Charles Salzberg. Let me give you just a little hint to what you're going to hear. A crooked reporter who fronts for the mob who's been married eight times, I think that's so cool, and gets a visit from his oldest friend and disgraced and defrocked shrink, who I thought was really cool. And the man is in deep trouble, but I'm not going to tell you why. And we have beaned by Tim O'Mara. After smuggling cigarettes, maple syrup, and coffee, Aggie discovers a much more sinister plot. You'll have to find out when you hear the show and read the book. And this one really I loved, The Fifth Column by Charles Salzberg. Months after America's entry into World War II, a young reporter, my favorite Jake, uncovers that the recently disbanded German-American bun might still be active. Hmm, wouldn't you like to know more? So welcome, Ross. Tim, Charles, and Cheryl are on the line. Thank you, Fran. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so good everybody showed up this time. This is good now. (laughs) (laughs) Ross, your character of the reporter, eight times married. Man, just how much alimony does this guy have to pay or whatever? So how did you create this guy? I really liked him. Sorry, people. I really did. Well, I think that, uh, you know, he got married that many times because he's an optimist, basically. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I, I based him on a couple of reporters I, that I had known. I was a reporter as a youth mm-hmm. um, in New York City in environs. And I, it, at that time, it wasn't quite the corporate gig that it is now. And they had a lot of really wild characters. And uh, I had known a couple of people who were married, you know, eight, nine times. And I always thought that was a, a good thing to use in a book. Must be interesting if you can, you know, get that much action. My God. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, maybe they never heard of dating. I, I don't know. Yeah, never they heard of a lot of things. <laughs> so, Tim, tell us about Aggie and tell us how he came to work for Robert. I wasn't so sure I like Robert, but I like Aggie. He's one of my favorite characters. And exactly yeah, what does is... he do? Um, he started out in in the first novella. This is my third novella with mm-hmm. Aggie, and he started out um, as a pretty much a low-level, happy-go-lucky drug dealer who accidentally mm-hmm. got in with the big boys, and uh, Robert's, Robert's the big boy, um, and Aggie is actually based on somebody in my life, um, <gasps> the kind of person you know that uh, you know he's lying when his lips are moving. Um, so basically when I started Aggie out, um, he was a low level drug dealer. And then over the, the three novellas, I think he's kind of 
turned into somebody you can actually like. Um, so thank you for liking him. I, I liked him in this one. I really liked him in the first one. Yeah, Especially he, he, what he, he did for the girls. Yes, I do. See, I remember these things. Now, Charles, yeah, I love this reporter. I love Jake, besides my nephew's Jake, so it makes it even better. Jake became well-known in your first novella. So why did he decide to go to work for the Daily Mirror? And how come he had to give the, you know, say, right, yes right away, otherwise he wouldn't have gotten the job? I remember that, too. Well, he was working for a small newspaper in um, Connecticut. Yeah. And um, I had written in the first novella pretty much all I know about Connecticut, so I had to get out of Connecticut to where um, be closer to, to the you know a place I know, which is New York City. Um, plus the fact that I I pictured him as um, being ambitious anyway. He's you know in his early twenties. He's not going to want to stay in Conne- a small town in Connecticut the rest of his life. Uh, and uh, he's just anxious to get out, and he applies to a lot of um, newspapers in, in New York City, but the one that takes him is, is a tabloid um, kind of newspaper, one of the smaller ones, and those were the days when New York City, this is in the early 40s, when um, the city had like 20 newspapers. Uh, now it essentially has three, but when I was growing up there, and, and Ross and I grew up about the same time. What were there like a, a half a, a dozen newspapers then, Ross? Um, oh yeah, at least, at least. Yeah, you know there were so many, and and now we have three. But but there was a lot of competition back then because there were so mm. many newspapers. Uh, we spent more jobs for for young guys like like Jake. And there were morning well, and afternoon some... editions. That's right. I don't know. I don't know how many people actually. I know in my building the Times comes every night. I hear it drop down at three o'clock in the morning. But a lot of people just read the news online, Newsella right. and all the other, and Google. And I wonder how accurate those are, because sometimes I read two articles in two different places, and I go like, are you serious? This doesn't make sense. I still I still rather read it on paper, to be honest. So, Ross, this reporter that's been married eight times, there's one wife that he can't seem to get rid of. And why does he seem to be get the wrong people and go out with the wrong women, and why is somebody in the mob? That's really cool. <laughs> well, he meets the uh, the woman who's in the mob, who he has a, actually a long term relationship with. In fact, longer than Good any of his him. wives. And he meets her when he covers a story that's a drug bust, and mm. she is the wife of a young guy who's dealing in nothing more deadly than marijuana. But the police break into his apartment, and in a fumbled raid, they uh, shoot him to death. And he he then has a meeting with her later on through her father, who's a, a gangster, and uh, they start a relationship. He's very brave. Because what happens if you break up with somebody like that? Is the father going to kill him? Um, very possibly. <laughs> I, I think I was going to say you said he's brave. He may be foolhardy or have bad taste. I don't know. Yeah. He's got to be careful. Besides, in this day and age, you've got to really be careful. So, Tim, this, this is, first of all, coffee is my favorite thing. So when you tell me you're going to do the coffee, you need to bring me some Javalia. Seriously, oh. the K-Pods. So what, what did Aggie and Cornell, I like that guy, and why did Robert change it to coffee? What's the significance of the coffee, and why did he bring in so many other truckers? That's when I got nervous. No, I'm really, seriously, I got worried here. Well, 
one of the things I wanted to show in the novellas is that um, there are quite legal products that are people millions and millions of dollars smuggling illegally. Um, in the first book, it was cigarettes. The second book, it was maple syrup. And in this book, it's coffee beans. Um, all of them high end. And uh, I just, you know, everybody thinks of smugglers as smuggling in drugs and and illegal uh, ammunition and things like that. But I, I just wanted to show that uh, one of the things I wanted to show was quite legal products can be quite illegally profitable. Um, I also, very very maturely on my part, um, love the fact that my three novellas are named um, uh, Smoked, um, Beamed, and Jammed. All of them are things that a pitcher can do to a batter in a baseball game. Mm-hmm. You can you, you can smoke them, you can jam them, you can bean them, um, and that's that keeping in theme with my novels, my Raymond Dunn novels. They all have two word baseball titles. Um, but yeah, but uh, yeah. So Robert will smuggle whatever he wants. Uh, the only reason Aggie's alive right now is because he knows how to drive a truck, and. Mm. Um, yeah, he brought in, he needed help. He, you know, without giving too much away, Beamed is my way of uh, bringing Jeffrey Epstein back to life and killing him again. Um, so yeah, you, know, need, you need a lot just, of people when you deal with folks like that. Well, Beamed does tell me that, you know, coffee beans, I love, you know, yeah. coffee is like I started, I, I started at 12 o'clock last night. I had to get up for something. I said, what the heck, I'll just make myself two more cups. It was great. Um, so... Charles, when Jake decides to stay with his aunt, I liked his aunt, and go for the interview at the Chib and the Daily Mirror, he has to do that. What, what is the difference between working for a larger newspaper as far as a smaller one? Did he make the right decision? Well, he, he made the only decision that he could because larger yeah. papers people who are who are more seasoned, and, and he is broken in the, in the earlier novella. He's broken a very big pre-World War II story really big story. So he's got a certain amount of momentum now. Uh, he hadn't broken that story, which was picked up by other newspapers besides the, the Connecticut newspaper. Um, he would probably have had no chance at all. Um, he is an Ivy League, but he would have, in terms of experience, he would have had no chance. And so I thought it would be unrealistic with a um, big newspaper like the Times or the Herald Tribune and, and more likely one with the Daily Mirror, which is a paper, and which is a paper, paper that I that I used to one of the weeks as a kid. Uh, the Daily News, the, the Mirror, the uh, New York Times, and the New York Post. Uh, occasionally, I'd see the Herald Tribune, mm-hmm. so uh, I was a little familiar with that kind of tabloid. It, it's sort of a it was in competition in those days. Daily News as kind of having lurid pictures on the uh, of, of dead bodies on the cover. And so I just thought it would be more likely that he would get a job with them than a bigger paper. That is really good. Now, th- this is really wild. And this is really great, Ross, seriously. I read, the, I, read just, I read all the stories three times just to make sure that I remember what I read, which I always do. But how did you create ex-Dr. Solly? This guy's great. And how did he wind up on the reporter's doorstep? And wait a minute, how come he wound up with the reporter's ex-wives? 
Didn't he learn from well, the ex- mistakes he made? <laughs> Ex-Dr. Sonali is uh, actually based on uh, he's a compilation of a number of people I've known. Oh, God. And uh, <laughs> run through, then run through some, you know, imagination. But he's a guy, he, he's a former uh, psychoanalyst who has a penchant for once in a while sleeping with his patients. And this, of Not course, bad. gets him into trouble. Well, it is mm-hmm. bad, actually. And he he get, gets him into trouble, and he loses his license. And he's then kind of practicing. He's like a practicing analyst without a license. Um, but he has incredibly poor taste, and he always goes after his friend's ex-wives. And then finally, for the first time, marries one. That's a mistake. Poor thing. Somebody should have warned him. Seriously. Well, maybe, you know, sometimes you just have to learn from your mistakes. What can I say? Well, he does try to warn him. I know. doesn't help. Tim, what exactly do they deliver, and why did they change the different locations in time? And how does Robert, this is really scary, come up with the roots? What are they supposed to do? And they don't question him. They just go, "Uh uh-huh. And they do what he says. You see, that's not me. Well, I would is, never do that. This is what Robert. This is what Robert does for a living. He, 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 yeah, I know. It's scary. He runs an international smuggling ring, um, mm. and it, you know, it's it's like asking how does Walmart do what they do. He, he run, it, This is a business to him. So um, he's got all these roots established. Like my my wife has a cousin who um, runs a trucking company. It's just him mm. and his wife. And his wife really has the tougher job because she's got a plan. You know, the um, there's something in the book I mentioned that you, you never, if a trucker is driving an empty truck, he's not doing his job. Yeah. So there always has to be something to come back this way, and uh, that's part of what Robert does. You know, it's anything from cigarettes to maple syrup related products to. Uh, you know, coffee beans, anything that's worth something on the black market, Robert will get it get it there for the right price. Um, so it really is. He's like he's like the Amazon of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, smuggling. Some people say Amazon well, he's, Amazon smuggling. So he, he, he runs yeah, like he Amazon. Is, but he's also, he's even smuggling other things to what we're not going to say that just yet, but we will after. Okay, Charles, I have a good one. When Jake meets Davey, I, I, this bothered me, and I was very proud of Jake. What makes him take him to ice cream, and what does he learn that sends him on the road to uncover who's hurting this precious child? And the beatings of students that are both Jewish, black, and Catholic, that gets me really upset. And what is the bond and its origin? Yeah, why does, why does he realize that he needs to help this child before something really horrible happens to him? Well, what happens uh, for readers is he's moving, he's, he's staying with his aunt until he finds his own place yeah. in New York. And they get into the elevator, and there's a, a mother with her young child, and who, and the child looks like he's, um, he, he's injured. You know, his yeah. face set up. And so um, Jake is, at first, he's just sympathetic. He, he wants to know what, what happened. And, and then as, it, as things uh, develop, he realizes that they're, they're hiding something. You know, at first he thinks, well, maybe... But but maybe there was um, there was some violence in the home, and uh, so he he takes this kid for ice cream, and, and these are the days before you know where where we had all these child molesters, so it, it, it doesn't so strange yeah. for, for for an ice cream so 
totally because he, he uh, has a empathetic and sympathetic, but self-story there, and it leads him to uh, uh, to the um, the bullet. For people who don't know, uh, prior to New York, uh, prior to World War II, there was a very large um, German-American population here, and I actually grew up within Yorktown, which is on the Upper East Side of New York, and I grew up about um, five or six blocks from, from Yorktown, and it was a very German area, and the the, um, the Bund, which was a collection of um, American Germans who were very sympathetic to what was going on in, in Germany at the time. They were, um, uh, I'm not saying that all German Americans were pro-Hitler, mm-hmm. but this particular group of them, and they were very la- surprisingly large group, and several years before the, uh, the story takes starts, there was a, um, a rally in Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. 20,000 people who were sympathizers of the Bund and of Germany. And this is in New York City before, um, several years before the war. But when the war broke out, um, the the Bund fell apart supposedly because they were they were pro-Germany and they um, you know they were not allowed to exist. But um, that didn't to me that that wouldn't stop someone from being from Germany just because the organization that you're a member of is has been um, has been outlawed. Uh, and the other thing that I that I got a lot of information from. I mean, the story takes place in New York, but but the uh, there were there was a, a very um, strong German influence in Hollywood because um, and it was odd because a lot of the the executives in movie companies were Jewish. But Germany was an extremely big market for American films. And so when Hitler came to power and, um, you know, there was a lot of anti-Semitism there, mm-hmm. movie companies here uh, were very aware of um, making movies that might offend Germans. So they actually showed a lot of these movies before they released them to um, officials in Germany who, if they didn't like some of the scenes, if they thought they were, you know, uh, anti-German or pro-Jewish, they would, um, they had enough power to get the uh, the, the studios to, uh, in, in some cases, actually censor their own films. So they were very sensitive to this with all economics, uh, and so there was a very strong um, German influence in Los Angeles, and they were, um, and it had permeated even the police department. So, mm. and this whole book about this. So, after reading that book, uh, I sort of used a lot of the stuff that I learned in that book for transferring it to New York, where there was also a lot of German influence. So that's pretty much how the the book develops and how. Um, Jake gets into the story, and to be honest, and I, and I said this before, the editor, um, my uh, our editor, um, Lance Wright, really liked mm-hmm. the character Jake and wanted me to bring him back. And I was very reluctant because I'm really lazy. I would have had to do a lot of research of, about New York in the early 1940s. So um, 
but when, then when I realized I could write about Nazis, I said, okay, I'll bring them back because I'm obsessed with Nazis. You know, I'll watch all the movies, all the documentaries. So it was really an opportunity for me to um, do some research and write about something that I was interested in. Well, my grandmother was a victim of them, so you made me happy that you did that. Mm-hmm. She spent, uh, yeah, my grandfather had to go through the underground to get her and her sisters out. And what they did to her was unspeakable. So when I read about the Nazis and people taking them down, it makes me feel much better, much happier. And by the way, Fran, so, that's a real, that I write about yeah. a real town in Long, Long Island, yeah. which was a town. And um, to this day, you can go there. And a lot of the buildings, the, first of all, the, the avenues were named like Hitler Avenue and Goebbels mm-hmm. Street. And they also, some of the buildings that were there, the houses, had swastikas. Um, carved into the dictionary, mm. um, uh, and and there was a camp. It's a real camp called Camp Siegfried, which I'm told now by my friend Reed Farrell Coleman, who lives out that way, is now just a, a boys' camp. Uh, but it was a it was a, a sort of a Nazi uh, indoctrination oh kids camp then. Royce, I have some really crazy questions here. Okay, we oh have good. Tanya and Lisa, and they're both attached to Sally. But the character that made me cry, Fort says, was Silent Adam. Why doesn't this this poor child doesn't speak? And he has two parents, this what bothered me, that really don't care about him. How could you not love the kid? So tell us about Mage and relationship and why doesn't Silent why does he become Silent Adam? Why doesn't he speak this poor child? He never does. That's even scarier. Well, <laughs> I, I don't want to uh, psychoanalyze Simon Adam, but I think this is a reaction to the, uh, the the situation that he's uh, yeah. that he's in with his uh, his parents, and especially uh, from his father, you know, who deals in speaking mm-hmm. as a job. That's so sad. It's so sad. Yeah, and he, um, you know, he reacts to um, the voice of his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I had read an article in the New York Times which said there had been studies done showing that children will react almost instantaneously to warning recordings with their mother's voice Mm -hmm. rather than to just alarm sounds. And I was thinking, well, what if you you took the recordings of the mother's voice and you altered them and you had them saying something else? And that's essentially what... uh, Ex Doctor Solly does with the recordings. In an yeah, attempt to get Silent Adam to, yeah. To, to uh, that speak. was a re- that was unique because nobody, I don't think very many people know about that. I wonder if they use that and does it does work with some kids just to get them to start speaking again. Uh, well, not in this case. Unfortunately. So, one more question. Who are the members of the mob that Sally and the reporter are connected to because of Lisa and Tanya? I love mob stories. They're really exciting. Who, who are the members of the mob that they're connected to? Well, the, the women are both uh, yeah. from mob families. Their fathers uh, are mobsters. That's who so cool. know one another. And um, one of them is based uh, on Paul Castellano, uh, who you know was shot mm-hmm. outside of uh, Spark Steakhouse on 46th Street. And I used to live half a block from the steakhouse, so I've always had a fondness for that story and that uh, assassination. Uh, I also uh, had met his uh, his niece at one point and had a long conversation with her. 
And um, I think that to be to be uh, out of a mob family is a kind of interesting relationship because it gives you a lot of unfortunate choices that you have to make. Mm-hmm. Well, Tim, I have a question. There's another part that I didn't read on the back cover. How do they find out that what Robert is is doing sex trafficking? That's something that's real. I've read a whole bunch of books recently on that, and that's something that's never going to go away. So how come you included that? Because that's an important topic that people need to realize. Robert's Robert's not doing sex trafficking. Yeah. Robert Robert's um, Robert's in the in the previous book Jammed, they yeah. Aggie and Aggie and Cornell stumble across um, some sex traffickers, and Robert's family gets involved. I don't want to give anything away. Robert's yeah, family gets involved. So as soon as they finish their business. In novella number two in Jam, that's right where Bean depicts up, and that's what you know. Robert's all about business, so he says, "Yeah, I want to go after these guys, but first we have to take get rid of this all this coffee, and then you can meet me in New York City, and then they go after um, this Jeffrey Epstein type, and uh, mm. then they realize." Have to, they have to go more, and I really did. I, I did a, a bit of research, and you're right; it's unfortunate. Um, it is. It's, it's happened. It's always been happening, um, but there is a lot of research out there, and then especially just Google Jeffrey Epstein, and you've got a book. But um, one thing that did, um, especially now that I'm listening to uh, Charles and Ross, is we really uh, we picked a hell of a trio of uh, people to, to write about. Charles has got. <laughs> The Nazis. I've got sex traffickers, and Ross has the nicest people, and they're they're mob people. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, Robert. Robert was uh, this was something personal to Robert, so he made that. That was the next assignment he gives Aggie and Cornell to hook to hook up with this other guy that he knows, and and to take care All of. All I have uh, to say is, this is probably why I started the book and read it in less than an hour and a half. And then read it again and got eye strain because I couldn't put it down, which is a good thing. Because, like oh, I said, if it takes me more than a day to two days to read a book, you're in trouble. No, seriously. Oh, yeah, that, that glue that we put on the book works. Once you pick That's it right, up. It did, yeah. Out. Exactly. And the, with the glue on the bottom of the handbook, I still haven't gotten off, so the book's still there. That's why I couldn't turn it over to the cover. Sorry. Not. It's so sad. So, Charles, Jake learns what happens to Davy. And we talked about the Germans in America. Why doesn't his boss want him to work on it on his own time? Why does he agree, and why does he have to work on it on his own time? This editor got me really annoyed. Well, a really good reason. Um, Remember, Fran, he's a new hire. He's the lowest person on the totem Mm -hmm. pole. And, you know, you don't start on big stories, and you don't start on your own hunches when you first get a job. You have to pay your dues. You know, you get the horrible little stories, you know, which he, he, he does get, you know, kind of trend stories or stories that no other senior reporter wants to do. And so um, this, is, this is potentially, if he's on to something, a big story. And, and no, no editor is going to uh, take a, a, a cub reporter and say, yeah, yeah, go with it, you know, just go with your instincts, do what you want to do. So, um, so that's why he can't just mm. go out and get an assignment from his editor and do it, uh, mm. which is why he has to work on it uh, in, in the beginning, at least, uh, on his own. 
Now we've got Ross. This, you see, I really like Dr. Solly in my own little way. <laughs> he's completely nuts. No. That's what made. I mean, he's not a typical psychiatrist. He's really nuts. So, how did you connect the reporters' relationships with Adam Sally, and why did Mage leave? And how did that affect Silent Adam? I love that kid. I felt so bad. And how did you create the voice on tape that would keep him moving? That that's interesting. Well, well the voice on tape, as I said, was uh, I picked yeah. that up working with a story that I'd seen in the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Solly and the reporter are old friends. They uh, have known each other since childhood, so they have a kind of bond that they can't quite break, um, even though it gets very broken by the uh, by the end of it. And uh-huh. um, Dr. Solly is a guy who um, he, he knows how to make he, – he's half a genius, I think, and half a complete lunatic. And uh, mm-hmm. it's finally the lunatic that wins out. Well, sometimes a lunatic is more fun. You know, I find that some of the books I read, if there's no major conflict, no major event, I go like, why am I reading this? I'm, I'm being tortured, as usual. Fran, and, and that's a really, no good. Here's a really scary thing. Ross has a, a friend who that's based on. Uh-huh. Ross has a friend like that. <laughs> Maybe I better be nicer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would help. You just never know what's going to come out of me. I know. My husband says that. You, you Only you could come out with some of this stuff and get away with it. Really, it's fun. So, um, how do we, Tim, how do we know at the end that this might not be over? And tell us, my favorite, I love Mr. Coffee. How did you? Why did you include Mr. Coffee? I mean, the more coffee, the happier Fran is. Seriously, but yeah. why Mr. Coffee? I, I get a I get a big kick out of um, the, the the crime writer tradition of giving characters nicknames. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I did was with with Bean um, because they were smuggling coffee beans. I just made that connection to that was the that was the language that this particular sex trafficker spoke because that was his business. So, and, and he even got to the point where he would have nights with, you know, if you liked light skinned black girls, it was cafe au lait night. If you liked, you know, dark skinned girls, it was espresso. If, you know, if you liked white girls, you know, so I, 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 I was being a little, I was trying to be clever in that crime writer tradition. Um, but calling him Mr. Coffee was also a way of not coming right out and saying who he was um, and, and getting into trouble with, uh, you know, people in their real names. Uh, so, but it is, it's, it's, it's an old crime writing tradition where you give, you know, and, and, and Ross, you know, in, in the mob stories, all the mobsters have nicknames. So uh, this, just, this was just a way of... Not that I wanted to trivialize anything, but I brought a little levity to what I think is the most heinous crime being, you know, perpetuated right now, which is the trafficking of young girls. Well, every time I read Mr. Coffee, I had to make a cup of Javalia. No, I'm serious. I I literally drank more coffee reading your story than ever before. (laughs) I'm I'm glad Daniels. You never would have got through it. No, I don't drink, so that would have been just water. <laughs> no, well, Mr. Coffee is, is dangerous because, you know, it's very good to you. What can I say? It goes right through you. Right. So, 
We have Charles. Charles, Davy, um, how does Charles, how does Jake put it all together? And why are so many people willing to help him to get the story? Well, it, it's not so much how many people help him story. Yeah. It's the people that he finds that, you yeah. know, when he has a, a hint of um, that, that there may be some anti-Semitism involved, mm-hmm. well, who yeah. would go to? You would go to a rabbi, right, you, you, who has mm-hmm. the, their on the pulse of the neighborhood and find out. Or you'd go to a, um, in, in one case, he goes to a, um, he finds a Jewish storekeeper. Um, so it's it's really just using his, you know, there's very little difference. Um, uh, I came from the world of journalism. There's very little difference, really, between the methods of a, of a journalist and the methods of a, a detective. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's all about rounding up information. And um, when you're, uh, Ross was a reporter, so, so he knows that you develop sources, but you also develop a, um, a sense of, of cutting out uh, avenues that you don't need. Uh, you know, you ask, when you're experienced, you think, you realize, oh, I'm going to go to as close to the source of the information as I can, rather than um, your way into the inner circle. And so um, he is... Yeah. done a lot of stories and so um, he understands this and and, uh, and any reporter would, would understand that that's with any detective uh, you know if you want to find out something about anti-Semitism you go to the um, the possible target of it and that's why that's how he finds the um, we send him closer and closer that, that is interesting but, you know, but you guys have an advantage over somebody like myself or other people because you have the sources that you could use to find the information. I mean, I have Google and stuff like that, but you, you have the sources. If you need a police officer, if you need a fire person, you need, a, you know, somebody to consult with, you have that, which the rest of us don't well, one all of the, the time. That's, that's why really, I read the book. Uh, both Ross and I have written periods mm-hmm. earlier than now and when there were mm-hmm. no cell phones and there was no internet. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to have to put yourself back into into that mode. I'm sure Ross will, will tell you the same thing where, um, oh, you know, you can't, if you want to find out information now, you can just go to Google. You don't even have yeah. to leave your, your apartment. But back then it was a lot of uh, footwork and that's when, when Ross was a reporter. Uh, a radio reporter, he knows that. It wasn't, you know, you just couldn't dial up uh, information. Yeah, the, uh, yeah I know. in fact, that's changed police work also, you know. I, I have a, a friend who recently retired as a homicide mm-hmm. detective in New York, and uh, he said it really, by the end of his career, it, it wasn't much fun anymore because you pressed mm-hmm. a button on a computer and you found out, you know, 98% of what you needed to know. No, I, I agree with you. You know, that's why I'm doing something on February 10th that's different. Um, I have three law enforcement officers. I'm dedicating the show to men, to honoring men in blue because it bothers me that there's so much negativity about what's been happening in the news. Not everybody is the same. So I, I will never complain about NYPD or the fire department since they came to for 10 years to help me every time my mom got sick. Every time I called 911, they were there in five seconds. So they can't talk and say anything against them to me. Um, so that I'm doing that because I feel it's necessary for people to understand that all police officers are not like the four that did that, that are dealing with George Floyd. That's so sad. So and, and 
has a brother who was a was a cop, yeah. so yeah, he knows firsthand. Yeah, I could always get, I, that was a great source, and I, I always said in my in my Raymond Dunn novels mm-hmm. that the uh, the two mm-hmm. things I had to get correct were the school scenes and the scenes with cops, because mm-hmm. I was a I was a teacher for thirty years, and uh, I, it's it's interesting what you said about researching on the internet. You can when I'm reading books and um, in any genre, but but fiction, I can always tell when somebody has researched something mm-hmm. online um, as opposed to they actually lived it or spoke to somebody who actually lived it. Um, it's just a certain quality to it, and it really bugs me when they do it with uh, with kids. When they when they do it with with certain conditions that kids have, um, they look up autism on the internet and they think they can create an autistic child, and it just it just reads so phony. That that's one of my areas that I happen to know a lot about because I taught special ed for so many years. So the internet's wonderful to a point, but. You can experience something. Something Ross and, and, and Charles will tell you because they both come from journalism. Um, mm-hmm. You you ask somebody about what they do. It's it's hard to shut them up. They, people love to talk. They want to be heard. And when they find out, you know, that old phrase, "What are you writing a book?" It's like, well, as a matter of fact, I am. Mm-hmm. And you, you might be in it. You keep talking. So it's also I, I why most criminals you. get caught. Well, it's also why most criminals get caught because they can't that's keep true. their mouths shut. True. That's true. Well, that that is a positive sign. I know. Um, I use I was I taught for a, a long time in the New York City public school system in the Bronx in a tough school, and I'm little and I was didn't take any whatever, and I loved it. So right. when I read about Raymond Dunn and the fact that he loves teaching and he's going to go out of his way to help people, I go that would be me, and. Used to get I used to get in trouble just because I went that extra mile and I didn't care. The principal just said, "Yeah, leave her alone. She knows what she's doing." So right. yeah, it's a, it's the greatest profession. So every time I read, and if you didn't read Hulk, the Hulk, read it seriously. Be, be there <laughs> in December fourteenth when we talk about it. And one of my favorite characters. I read all your books. You just didn't know it. Now you do. Uh-huh. I, I had a feeling. I had a feeling, friend. I could feel something. The love. I felt the love. I I, I, I try. So, general question for everybody. When you create a, um, an anthology, and I've read so many, and I'm reading more, how do you create your main storyline? And you're going to all bring back these characters again in another one. So, um, so how do you decide to keep it fresh? Because characters in a series can get boring. But these won't, because they're different every single time. It's and so how did you create the main storyline? And are you going to continue? And when is the next one coming out so I can read it? Seriously. Uh, I don't well, know if we've agreed on a, a next one yet. Um, I, uh, you, you know, I, my, speaking for myself, my, my storylines came out of, uh, you know, like the old Law and Order line, they're ripped from today's headlines. Mm-hmm. You know, I picked something that was in current events and went with it. Um, the first book dealt with um, illegal transport of arms. They stumble across people smuggling guns. Um, but I was also fascinated. Just the whole thing of uh, smuggling fascinates me. You take a product from one place to another uh, for a profit and then come back with something for a price. I just, I, I don't know. It's the way my mind works. So I just, 
I took this from uh, from current events. I'm unlike Charles, who goes back 80 years, I think. It, it, it's hard. I mean, how do, and how do you create? If you create after you create your main story, main storyline, the hardest thing for me, and we were talking about this yesterday with Brian Freeman on Marsha's show. They actually made me be interviewed. Um, how do you create the characters, the names of the characters, so that when I read the book or somebody reads the book, you realize that you don't want to put that down. Those the names sort of fit. How do you fit make create char- the names of the characters to fit in the story? Um, you know, I don't find names to be all that difficult. I find the, the thing you have mm-hmm. to key into with writing uh, anything like this is the voice mm-hmm. that you're using. Um, mm-hmm. No matter, you know, how you're putting it across, I think there's a point where you sort of are searching around in the dark and then all of a sudden something just clicks and feels right mm-hmm. and the voice of it clicks in and every everything or mostly everything falls into place at that point. Yeah, it's, it's it's mostly. I, I completely agree. It's, uh, I'm I'm much more comfortable writing a scene with two people than I am mm-hmm. with three or four, because you really do have to create. If you're going to have a scene with four people, you have to create four distinct voices um, mm-hmm. to keep the reader. You know, first of all, to keep the reader focused. But like you said, mm-hmm. to keep them. If the reader is getting confused, they're going to put the book down. Um, mm-hmm. But as, as far as characters' names, I had some fun with that, too. In the first book, um, the first novellas, um, Smoked, this one guy that Aggie gets involved with decides to get all of his minions the, fir- the nicknames are the first names of famous crime writers. So to insult Aggie, he calls him Agatha, after Agatha Christie. And mm-hmm. Ag- 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 Aggie turns it to Aggie. He doesn't want to be called Agatha. And Cornell in the book is named after Cornell Woolrich. Um, mm. Robert is actually Robert B., named after Robert B. Parker. So I, I had some fun with that, but didn't take it to the point of distraction, I hope. No, ah. it's good because if there are too many characters, I get my graphic organizer out from when I was teaching, yep. and that's not a positive yeah. sign. So how did you create your name? That's exactly what I do when I'm writing, yeah. Really? Uh, See that? Yeah. For me, Fran, um, with the Swan books, it was easy because I would use mm-hmm. names of friends. So Tim is a character in one of my books, and, and the Swan <laughs> books, and, and Ross is a character, and I think three of the five of them, I think he's a, maybe even four out of, I think four out of five, he's, he's mm-hmm. a, a character. Um, but uh, otherwise, I, I just, I don't know, it's, a name just pops into my head. Uh, you know, I, it's hard to... Um, to explain, I don't. It, names can be really difficult, and I hate it when, um, when too much, mm-hmm. you, you know, a name is is obviously there just to tell you something about the character. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like uh, if you had a bounty hunter and his last name was Hunter, um, those things drive yeah. me crazy. Um, <laughs> but it's it's um, I, I don't know. It's kind of magical, like a lot of writing. I think it just happens. Well, before I forget, Tuesday, one of my favorite people in the world who thinks I'm wonderful, thank goodness, the girl who wasn't there, Vincent Zandri, takes Spotlight on the 22nd, Murder Forgotten. On the 26th and 28th, because of what's going on in the world, 
I decided to do something different. Pastor Michael Jones and I are friends from distance. He's in Florida. We're going to talk about a book that he wrote, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Christians, but we're going to talk about how it relates to all people and the things that people can learn to be nicer to people. On the 28th, if you heard the song, that the, my lead-in song, that's Trinity House Entertainment, and Michael and Rachel will be here with their new song, Why Do We Have to Wait? and United We Stand. And uh, nothing better than starting off November with Rig with D.P. Lyle. And the 10th with Lee Matthew Goldberg. We're going to talk about the ancestor, and that's just some of what's coming up in November. There's a whole lot more. So... Everyone has a professional life. What about your your experience in real life did you put into these novels when creating the plot or creating the characters? Are any of them you, or would you like them to be you? Um, Are you asking anybody? Anybody. That's for all of them. Yeah, I... Uh... These are um, none of them are me. Really. I mean, well, you know, you'll get people who say every character you write has some of you in it. So I, I, I think I do kind of believe that. But um, mm-hmm. in my Raymond Dunn books, Raymond Dunn is clearly me and my brother. I mean, it's it's, it's me, the school teacher, mm-hmm. and Raymond, the cop. In the uh, in the Aggie books, like I said, Aggie's based on somebody I know but I make him into a good guy, and this guy in my real life could never do that. Um, and, you know, like I said, you know, I base some things on current events. So, you know, Mr. Coffee is based on you know, <laughs> Mr. Epstein. So. Mr. Epstein, I'm still wondering how he really died, to be very honest. Yeah. I, oh, yeah, I, don't, yeah. believe, I don't believe that he, that he killed himself. I, I don't buy that I, for I, dust at all. Most people don't. Yeah, most people don't. No, I don't. I don't buy that at all. And it's really too bad that sometimes I often wonder sometimes if things are just thrown under the tarpet and you know pushed away, so that we don't really know the truth, or maybe nobody wants us to know the truth. That's that's even scarier. Yeah. You think you're spot on. So, that's just my curiosity. What can I say? So there, there are. Are there any other characters before I ask a few more questions? that you want to talk about or any other part of your book that I left out that I didn't talk about? Um, like, Boris, how did you create that ending? Oh, God, heart-stopping. <laughs> I was like, don't what? The uh, don't give them the ending. I, no, I don't want to give you the ending. but not my book uh, either. Um, I based the, uh, the reporter character on, uh, I, I had actually, as Charles was saying, and as Charles was also, mm-hmm. I was a reporter for a while. I did a lot of work mm-hmm with uh, crime stories and with the mob. And one of the first big mm. stories that I worked on had to do with a major mob investment uh, mm. up in Westchester County. And I went to the guy's office, which was in his home, ran the whole thing. And I, was, I think I was 22 years old at the time, and he tried to buy me off, uh, first with women and then with money. And I, looking back on it last night, I was kind of amazed. I was amazed I didn't go for it. I don't know. I probably would today, but you know, he had uh, he had a bunch of women working in the office, all in these uh, scantily clad and hot pants, as it was in the day. And he he brought mm-hmm. them into the room, and he he said he said, you know, make your pick. And um, I had to say, you know, sorry, pal, but that's not what I'm here for. And uh, eventually, we put this guy in jail. 
But I, I wondered what, you know, what would happen if you really went with the corrupt side of yourself? Yeah. You know, and I tried to build that into the, into the character. Well, there were a lot of police officers that probably were other people that would have definitely taken them up on it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. some of the books that I read, I, I really, I get upset because basically you don't want to see that they're police officers that are corrupt or firefighters or, well, government officials, that's different, really, seriously. Right. That, 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 that doesn't bother me <laughs> at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you never know why. I mean, I, I look back and think, you know, maybe if uh, I had eaten something different that day, I would have gone with it. But you, you never know. <laughs> Well, well, Tim, do you think that the, uh, Aggie and Cornell are going to stay working for Robert, or they're going to go out on their own and maybe, you know, deal with things in a different way? Um, that's an interesting question. I, uh, mm-hmm. I would say that Aggie, Aggie likes playing with the big boys. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's very exciting for him. He was basically when when we first met him, he was dealing to. Uh, you know, college kids and college professors and mm-hmm. and people in the uh, an un, uh, un, unstated uh, middle of a state in in, in the Midwest. Um, but if you read the book carefully, you know where it is. Um, so I think he, I, yeah, he, he. This is exciting for him, and there's money to be made. And he, it, and he, throughout the whole book, he's talking about how smart Robert is, how how he can put yeah, he things is. into motion. That that you know, Aggie would never dream of doing. So so yeah, Cornell definitely. Cornell's with uh, is is one of Robert's guys. Aggie stumbled into it, but I think he's he's as they would say. I think he's earned the place at the table with with what he's done. So I think he's going to stay there. Well, Robert's very smart. He he thinks fast on his feet too. That's even scarier. That that's oh, what makes him even more dangerous. He's, yeah. He's the Jeff Bezos of smuggling. So, yeah, he's, he's brilliant. That's why I liked him, in spite of the fact. Okay, Charles, this right. is a good one. I just I, I'm, I take notes as I'm doing this and think of things as I go along. Jake is working for the Daily Mirror. Would he ever go off on his own and decide to freelance and deal and handle the handle his stories by himself without having to answer to somebody? Um, well, it's sort of in his, in his nature, Fran. I mean, I, I hadn't thought of it, but but. You, you sort of picked up. <laughs> he is a kind of lone wolf, and I'm looking forward, if we ever do another one, to take all these characters from the, the novellas and put them all in mm-hmm. the same same story. So, so Tim's Aggie yeah. and, and one that Ross wants. Um, and, mm-hmm. and your question before about whether it's uh, you know the characters or, or me. Um, so you've unmasked me as a as a um, as a Nazi hunter in in my other life. Mm-hmm. I am a Nazi hunter. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've probably got the character right. I don't see him uh, working for 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 someone else for much too much longer. Uh, I don't envision what he'd do, but but you're probably right. I would love to see Robert give jobs to each one of these people, the reporters, <laughs> and then whatever, and and see what they see what they say. If he do, I need you to run this coffee. I need you to do this. That would be really scary. So. What is next for everybody, Charles? What's next for you? Are you going to give me another standalone, or another 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 book, another Harry Swan? I love that guy. Uh, it's it's interesting you should mention uh, Vince Zandri because we now have the same agent. I signed with um, Vince's agent, and he's sending oh, out a uh, a new novel right now called um, A Canary in the Coal Mine, which is a new PI, 
And then I'm working on kind of a sequel to Second Story Man. It's called oh, nice. Man on. It's called Man on the Run, and it picks up um, Francis Hoyt after the other book ends because, and simply because it wasn't that people were clamoring for it, but mm-hmm. I was kind of interested of what happens to him when that book ends. So I thought, well, I'll just I'll find out by writing another one, and that's about I'm about uh, sixty thousand words into that, so it's about two thirds done. Um, so that's what's next for me. I love that book. And Tim, what's next for you? Are you bringing my um, Raymond back again? I hope. I don't know about. Yeah, yeah, I, my my mother wants one more Raymond book because uh, he's mm-hmm. still not married to Rachel. My mother. That's uh, my mother. Has, yeah, my mother has um, has adopted Raymond um, and is really but, the, she's ready for Raymond to be married. But, but Tim, um, do you want to talk about the project you're working? Um, you know. Yeah, the, actually, the, yeah. The, uh, the the thing that I'm actually sending off. I hopefully by. Sunday night, um, mm-hmm. I unfortunately lost, I, I lost a good friend to COVID. Oh, God. And, yeah, and he, for years, had this novel lying around that was was just so good, but his, his name was Mike Heron, and uh, Mike mm-hmm. did not like, Mike did not like the rewriting process. Mike liked to write mm-hmm. something and then move on. But this was um, this was the best thing I think Mike ever did. So after he passed, um, I got permission from his um, from his brother to take the book and 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 do the rewrite that Mike didn't want to do. Um, oh, that's, and that's fantastic. Been, that's been occupying me for about three months now, and I am I'm ready to press send. It's actually going to be published by the same folks who did. Our trilogy, um, the third degree trilogy, mm-hmm. uh, all the trilogies, um, and I'm and we're yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna try to get that out by Christmas, and and because there's a lot of people that knew Mike, and and knew how stubborn he was about not finishing this book. So um, I want to get that out there. It's make sure I get it, people. I'll be very upset. I will make I sure get you it. get it, friend. Yes. That 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 is good because we could talk about it. I'll I'll, fi- I'll find a day. And what's what's next for you? I, re- I read um, your I mean, first book. I can't read the title on that. Was hysterical. Oh God, that was so good. What are you talking about, Schmuck? The comic novel. I read Schmuck. Yeah, I did that. Yes, I did. Well, I actually was making. Uh, I was scheduled to put that down as an audio book about uh, oh two weeks before <laughs> the lockdown started. So that. That project was uh, killed, but I'm now trying to bring it back to life and maybe um, in, a, in a slightly larger version, almost as a radio play. So I've been working on that with some actors. And I'm working, uh, I'm in the middle of the first draft of a novel that I can't talk too much about at this point, but it's oh, a good. one-off. And um, we'll see how that goes. Well, where can we find out all about you and then your work, Ross, and then Tim and then Charles? So I know where to look. If I didn't get something, I can just tell you I want it. No, seriously. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm all over. I'm all over uh, Facebook and Twitter. Easy, easy to find. Well, that is good. Yeah, I'm all over something. My website, my website needs updating, uh, but it's timomara.net. Or just you Google my name, and all my stuff will come up pretty much. And, uh, and my website. CharlesSalzberg.com is is um, being overhauled now, and it looks gorgeous. I didn't do it, so I can't take the credit. But it looks, 
it really looks cool. The person who's doing it is almost finished. So if you go there, you can see it, but it'll say kind of like under, uh, not construction. Under construction? Because it, no, not construction. That, that means that's being involved. And so, um, but but it, you'll get a good idea of what it looks like. And all my stuff is there now. So that's kind of cool. And, and Fran, thanks well, I, again for doing this for us. I, I mean, you're, you're oh, so... Any, any time, any time. And Cheryl is on, is on. She's listening. She's the best. And she's doing my blog tour. Of course, I don't have a book as great as yours, but it's called What If. What if you lived in a world that Frank created? Would everybody start getting an understanding that it could get worse, which is going to? As soon as I sit down and have five minutes from the pile on my chair to write what's next. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, yeah. It's, 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 to, it's told, told in different, different voices, like one person, because I don't like dialogue. And it just tells about different worlds and different people and how they're suffering during the pandemic. And I've got some interesting reviews and I got some, whatever, and I don't care. But I want to thank you so much. This has been fun. And um, when you write the next one, we could do this again. And if everybody has a standalone, just let me know when, and I'll fit you in my schedule. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Fran. Everybody, have a great day. It's beautiful outside. It's sunny. Have a great day, and bye. Okay. Thanks, Fran.